Welcome to MV Talks, a podcast by Maya Vandenberg Lawyers in Canberra. MV Talks is an in-depth look at the legal issues facing individuals, business and government. This is your host, Susan Blaine. Wendy, can we begin getting some information about you and your background and what you do in the area of sale of business, please? Sure. Um, I've been a solicitor for over 25 years and always been in the commercial area. So I've done a lot of sales of business and purchases of business over that time, as well as structuring advice and dealing with clients and contracts, um, helping businesses prepare for change and um, really enjoyed it most of the time. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, welcome to your first podcast and uh, may all the power be with you to have a great podcast. I I hope this is a great experience for you. (laughs) Jennifer, you've done this before. Welcome back to MV Talks. Thank you, Susan. Can you tell us a little bit about your background for our listeners? So, yes, so I um, do leasing, um, so retail leasing, office leasing, industrial leasing, Um, I assist both landlords and tenants, um, so I prepare documents on behalf of landlords and I review documents on behalf of tenants and provide advice. Um, In in relation to sale of business, um, it becomes important when you're transferring a lease and then I get involved with advising tenants in relation to that. Great, thank you. So without any further ado, let's jump in the deep end. Uh, Ladies, what do you recommend I need to do to get my business ready to be sold? It's not just as easy as I'm ready now, let's do it. And um, I guess I'm asking this question on the eve of the Australian federal budget being brought down. And we are, of course, at Maya Vandenberg in the home of federal government here in Canberra. So it is an exciting event nonetheless. But usually the federal government budget is a great trigger for people to start thinking about sale of business because it, of course, means that the end of financial year is coming up. What do I need to do? Well, it's an interesting one because uh, at least half the sales we see um, would be people weren't expecting them. Somebody's come along and made them an offer for their business. Uh, Somebody else is expanding or they're an aggregator and they've looked at this business and thought, I could add that to my business and then we could go and exploit this other opportunity over here. So it's not that unusual for someone to be in their business doing their day-to-day work and have an offer come out of the blue. Well, that's nice, but a lot of people struggle to get those offers. So say you're lucky enough to get one, what sort of thing should you be thinking to kick this process off? The first thing you really do need to be doing is going, getting your accountant to go back through your books and getting your books ready. By that I mean make sure there's none of your personal, particularly if you're a small business, that you don't have your personal expenses in the company, that your accounts are up to date, um, that all of your company registers are up to date, your employment records, you know, your lease isn't about to expire, uh, if you've got a franchise agreement that it's got a few years left to run, those kinds of things. Yes, Wendy, that's a good point. It's a good time to dig out your lease. I'm sure it's in the bottom of a drawer somewhere. Or call your lawyer who will have a copy of it, hopefully, and have a look at what it says about assigning the lease um, and what steps you need to take 
because that's your first starting point if you want to transfer your lease. Okay. Uh, did you have more to add to that, Wendy? Yes, because part of it is really preparing for uh, what the buyer is likely to do. So a buyer is going to want to do something called due diligence. When they come in and they will look through everything to try and find the problems in your business. And the reason they do that is they want to try and bring the price down. And it's partly to reassure themselves that they're, what they think they're buying is what they're actually going to get. So is there a responsibility for a seller to do an amount of due diligence in preparation for yes. a sale? Yes. Great. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What you're trying to do is preempt what a buyer might look at and make sure that's all been sorted before a buyer starts to look at it. What sort of things should you be getting ready as part of due diligence? Um, certainly the accounts, looking at any of your key customers or key suppliers. Have you got written contracts in place with them? Um, what is the term you've got left on uh, things like the lease that we mentioned before? And certainly if you're a franchise agreement, um, as a franchisee, you're much more saleable if you've got a number of years left to run on your franchise than if it's only got, say, six months, because mm. what you're then offering to the buyer is a, a, a longer commitment. At what point should a seller be engaging a law firm such as My Vandenberg to help them in this process? Usually we get engaged when people are starting to interact with a buyer. Unless you're definitely going to market and hiring a broker to try to sell your business for you, usually we're not involved quite that early. Um, most of the due diligence work can be done by an accountant. There's some stuff certainly we can do for you, um, but it really depends on the size of your business and the nature of your business. Okay, well that, mm. that seems like an important point. Okay, the next probably natural question to go from that is what's the starting point, Jen, for assigning a lease? So the first thing to do is to check what the lease itself says about um, the process for assigning the lease. Um, and if it's silent, then you should also check whether there is legislation that applies and that's something that we can provide you with advice on. Um, if there is relevant leasing legislation, you might have to provide the buyer with information such as disclosure statements before you approach the landlord. And so your approach to the landlord will need to be clear and it's also helpful to provide them with information that will help them make a decision as to whether they agree to transfer the lease to the incoming person. So information such as financial statements or business references of the incoming buyer and any guarantors that they're going to offer will assist the landlord in this process. Okay, great. I guess at some point, Wendy we really got to answer some very basic questions, which is what is it that we're selling? Absolutely. Uh, there are two ways to sell a business. And you can either sell it by selling the assets in the business or you can sell the structure. So if you've got a company, there are two ways to sell that company running that business. You can either sell the, the company itself, can sell its assets to someone else and the assets will be the stock, the plant and equipment, um, other bibs and bobs that it's got. But the other way to do it is to sell the shares in the company and that way the person is actually buying the company. And that does change the way we structure the deal and it changes the way we look at the lease as well. That's correct because even though the entity is not going to change in the lease, Susan, often you have to get the landlord's consent if you're changing the people who are going to be running the business. Mm. 
And so it's important to check your lease and to see whether a change in directors or a change in shareholding will trigger the assignment requirements. Right. So you can't sit in your lounge room one night, decide to sell a business when it involves other moving parts such as leases and I'm also assuming, you know, in more complex structures and shareholders and things like that, you can't decide in isolation. You need to make sure everyone is aware or or, or at least the business documents and the people, mm. key people involved are aware that this transaction is about to occur. That's right, because you don't want the transaction to fall over just because you've missed a step. Has this happened before? Um, yes. Often I get approached by people who have already changed things and not realised that they needed to get the landlord's consent. Mm. Um, And I think Wendy Mm. as well has the experience that often people will change things practically but haven't documented that. And so that's where we can help to make sure it's documented correctly. And it's particularly important if you're a director of a company and you sell your company, have you as the guarantor been released from all of your obligations? Why is that important, (coughs) Wendy? If you're a guarantor personally on the lease and you sell the company or you sell the business, unless you are released in writing by that landlord, you remain a guarantor on that lease for as long as that lease will run. So you could have moved on, you've retired, you've gone wherever, whatever you wanted to do, but unless you've been formally released, you are still liable. And it's the same with um, guarantees that you might have signed as a director for any suppliers of the business or the you know overdrafts or mm. anything along mm. those lines. You need to be formally released from those um, things. Otherwise, yeah, four years later down the track, the new people are stopped paying rent and done a bolt or whatever. The landlord's got every right to come after you for that money. Mm. Have you seen that happen? Yep. Yeah, right. That would be pretty devastating, yeah, I imagine. It's not pleasant. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so moving on to some of the practical aspects of selling a business, mm. assuming these things are in place and we're going a little mm. bit further down the path of the sale, what happens, uh, we'll say I'm the person selling the business, what happens to my employees and should I tell them about the sale? Well, we'll come back to the anatomy of a sale just briefly. Yeah. Normally you have... A two-stage process, just like you do with selling a house. You'll have uh, contracts will be drafted and those will be negotiated. Then we go through a process called exchange, which is when everybody signs up and says, yes, we've now agreed to this deal. So we have an exchange. Normally it'll be a few weeks later that we have what's called completion. You can be lucky and have it all happen on the same day, but quite often there's a, a little bit of time between those two events happening. Generally speaking, with employees, you don't tell them until after you've at least exchanged. Until you've exchanged, you don't really have a binding deal of any sort. You've got somebody who might be interested in buying you, but they could walk away at any moment. Once it's binding, yes. Then you've got to think about what's going to happen with those employees. If it's a sale of assets, then the buyer needs to make offers of um, employment to the employees and they can take them on. Um, If they don't want to take certain people on, you might be having to make those people redundant. It can get quite tricky depending on the size of your business, just working through what's going to happen with each employee. So what is restraint and why does the buyer want one? When the buyer buys this business, they're buying the goodwill and that's all the relationships that you've got with your both your clients and also your suppliers. 
that's worth something. It, it's hard to often to put a figure on it, although accountants are quite willing to give it a go. Um, mm-hmm. But they want to protect that. So what they want to know, you've already got that relate personal relationship. You're now leaving this business. They don't want you setting up in competition you know, two blocks away and suddenly all of the people you've just paid money for suddenly running back to the old owner. So the point of a restraint is to protect that goodwill. So usually it has some form of um, number of years to it and also a, a territory. And that will vary on the type of business and how big the business was and, and that kind of mm. thing. To improve the certainty. It improves the certainty of, that the buyer the is, is going yeah. to keep the value in that business. Yeah, understood. Yeah. Understood. Um, going a bit off the cards here, but are, are there any requirements, Jen, to notify the landlord that you're about you're about to or considering selling a business? So it's a good idea to know who you're selling to before you notify the landlord mm. because most landlords will say, well, come back to me when you have details of the person. Um, so it's, as Wendy was talking about exchange, mm-hmm. um, Exchange is a good time to lock in those details. Mm -hmm. Now, you need to allow the landlord time to consider the new person. So you need to factor that into your time frame between exchange and settlement. Um, And also there are documents that the landlord will want to be signed. Some of those will document the terms that they like to see. Um, And also some of those are to transfer a registered interest. So your lease may be registered and to, in order to transfer that to your name, you will need to tra- register a transfer. There's a lot more to it than I first appreciated. Uh, I, for one, think this is very valuable information. So if I'm buying, if I'm, I'm the buyer of a business, mm-hmm. what structure do I need? It depends a little bit on what type of business you're buying and whether you're getting a lease, as we've been talking about. Occasionally you'll get people who are not only buying a business, they're also buying the premises. Uh, And for people who are doing that, we would often suggest that they have different entities, one to buy the business and one to buy the premises, and that's just about asset protection. But there are different structures that you can use. You can use a a family trust or a unit trust or a company. Those are probably the most common. And this this is where you play a role... A, a big role, I, I guess, because there's some very serious considerations about how to structure that to there be is. effective. There is. There's both the asset protection side of things, mm. and there's what suits you and your future plans, and then there's also tax minimisation. Right, I imagine that'd be a fairly big agenda right? for people that <laughs> yeah. are sort of finishing up their business and their business life, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, I've exchanged contracts with the buyer and the completion of sale is due to happen in a few weeks. What's happening now? We're getting down to the business end. It's all feeling like it's going to get across the line. What what do I need to be doing at this point in time? The first thing, it's business as usual. Don't do anything out of the ordinary. Just keep everything going nice and smoothly through to completion. Oh, can I stop you there? What would be out of the ordinary? Um, buying a very large piece of equipment. Okay. Yeah, so um, normally... From a GST perspective, you've got to keep the business going right up until the supply of the business. But what the buyer doesn't want you doing is changing anything dramatically compared to what they looked at prior to exchange. Okay. So if they, they think they're buying a company with 10 trucks and 15 employees and they turn up at settlement and they've got a business with eight trucks and 40 employees, they're going to be a little bit stunned. Mm. So the idea is that if everything stays consistent 
You just keep things going, nothing too out of the ordinary, or if something really critical does come up, like a big truck breaks down, you've got to buy a new one or something. That is discussed with the purchaser, and we work out what to do. Right, so it's a journey together. A little bit at that point, yes. Beyond what point? Like when do you start taking the purchaser into business decisions of a significant nature? Well, normally the contract will state that you have to. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Mm. Um, have you ever seen some disastrously um, unusual purchases that have really raised the eyebrow or, or indeed scared away a buyer? Yes, I've had a restaurant decide that they should do a major fit-out, whereas the buyer, of course, has got all their own plans of what they want this particular place to look like. That would be a surprise, That, that was a surprise. Everything had been committed. Not usually. It, I can't really think of too many other examples of that particular nature. Most um, Usually it's around stock levels if you've got that kind of a business. Okay. And it's about having, um, on the one hand, not too little stock so that the buyer doesn't walk in on... Monday and suddenly realise, oh, hang on, I've There's got nothing, nothing to sell. There's nothing, yeah. <laughs> um, through to too much stock and they've got to pay you a couple hundred thousand dollars for stock that might sit there for the next six months and they don't have to order. Mm. Uh, so it's trying to find that nice balance. Mm. Can you give me some examples of how um, there could be changes in the structure of, say, something where you, a business where you're providing services as opposed to having stock and equipment? Services, it's really around the whip. Right, uh, meaning work in progress? Work in progress, yeah. Mm. For services, it's around looking at the whip and normally you build in some rules around how much whip there should be. Usually the done thing is um, you try and invoice everything you possibly can mm-hmm. the day prior to completion and the incoming purchaser, there'll be an arrangement whereby they pay you uh, a set percentage of what the whip is worth or they might pay all for all whip that's less than a certain amount old. Mm. So they won't pay for whip. It's 12 months old and unlikely to ever be billed. Mm. But it's usually around whip and debtors if you're talking about professional services. Um, jumping back now to mm. people that have stock, I imagine a stock take is in order, is that right? Depends a little bit on the type of business. Um, certainly hospitality, you would do a stock take. Uh, factories and things like that, you often do a stock take. If you're a smaller business, um, you might say the stock is inclusive because mm. um, you can't be bothered doing a stock take. Mm. What about um, some of your utilities and things that uh, the incoming buyer will need most immediately to take control of the business? Most of that the buyer and the seller can work out together themselves quite easily. So Passwords uh, for websites? Yeah, all of that. All you you do just ha- hand that over yourselves. Um, websites, you do need to actually formally change over the ownership mm-hmm. and you need to find out who your registrar is for your particular website and they'll have their own little mechanism for transferring the ownership of that uh, domain name, mm-hmm. um, electricity, just get on to whoever your electricity provider is and mm-hmm. telcos are the same. And normally they'll do it so that meters are just read on the day. Okay. Yeah, so it's usually smooth. Uh, the other big issue um, that does happen between exchange and settlement, and this is to deal with securities. Uh, so people would be familiar with the old mortgages and charges. Um, it's basically the same thing. We've got to look at who's got security over your goods or over your business or over the company uh, so that we have to get those securities off for completion. It may be, particularly if it's, say, a a bank has what's called an all-pap, which means it just covers everything. Uh, Normally what 
we end up doing there, you often need the money from the sale to actually pay back the bank in full. So the bank would normally give an undertaking in writing that you'd hand over at settlement saying that um, that they will release uh, the securities within five days of um, payment being received. Is there also some... Do you need to put aside, just in a practical sense, do you need to put aside some time to literally do a handover? Yes, the day of completion for the business owner and seller, it's not business as usual. You are busy just doing that. And depending on the nature of the business as well, you've uh, sometimes the incoming person might want some training. They might want you to stay on for a few months afterwards to help provide, we tend to call it consultancy services, mm-hmm. but just help bed things down, help you learn take you around, uh, do all the introductions to your suppliers, your key clients, that sort of thing. So it's not unusual um, for either there to be a training period before or after or for um, usually a bit bigger business, uh, say for the owner to stay on on a full-month contract, say. As long as that. Can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it's a big enough business, mm. um, just to help bed things down, help bed the clients down with the new owner. Okay. How about after settlement? Is it does it change once settlements occurred? Well, that's really I suppose that's what sort of, that, that sort after of settlement okay, is. Right. Yeah, it's bedding down the tying down the goodwill, doing those introductions and. Okay. What if there's if it's not a single buyer? There's a group of people that are buying. Does that? I imagine it would add a level of complication. Not so much to the sale. What we're trying to do there when we get when we act for buyers who are like a multi-party, yeah. so there's three of you who are putting money in together and maybe we've set up a corporate structure for you. Setting up the company is one thing and the company goes off and buys the business. Mm-hmm. So that's nice and um, contained mm-hmm. as a matter. Uh, but you need to look at, between the three of you, your relationship and think about putting a shareholders agreement in place, something that will govern how you run the business, how you manage the business into the future and how different people will be able to move in and out of that business. Basically, we like to prepare you for most of the what we call the voluntary and involuntary exits so that um, there are mechanisms in place. Is that a one-off document, Wendy, or do you suggest revisiting the, the terms and arrangements around that particular document periodically? Periodically it should be reviewed. Things do change. Uh, certainly if you're just starting out and quite don't have that much behind you, you may not want to have, say, insurance mm-hmm. in there as a backup for certain things. Um, as your business grows and gets more and more value in it, so you can go from having bought a small business, it's now like a medium-sized business, and you might think, well, if one of my uh, shareholders who's also a key person working in the business, if something were to happen to them, um, we need to be able to buy them out. So now I'm at the business at the point where I would actually need insurance uh, life policy so that I would actually have a sum of money available to buy out the estate. Mm. Um, so those types of things do need to be revisited. Yeah, as you're speaking, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of, it's, it's um, very much forming in my mind that this process really needs to have your accountant, your lawyer, your insurer and perhaps even your financial planner um, deeply involved because there's there's a major transaction going yeah. down and to have those people on the same page seems quite essential. It is because what you want is to be getting all the same answers from the same people. Mm. So one of the things we often do suggest is if we're working through this particular issue, we can get everyone together, just nut it out because sometimes there are tax consequences that can be we could be looking at it from one point of view an accountant might be looking at it from a tax point of view talk about it together and just work out what's the best way for this particular client mm-hmm. now turning our mind just 
to look in isolation now about the implications when leasing's involved with the sale of business, Jen. Um, we looked before at the starting point in assigning a lease. What about the information that the landlord can request? Yep, so as I said before, the landlord is most likely going to want financial information um, and business references. What sort of financial information? So they might be bank statements from the, if it's a company buying from the company, Mm -hmm. if it's an individual buying from the individual, or if an individual is providing a guarantee, they might want to see the bank statements of that individual, or a letter from your accountant, um, detailing your financial status summarizing it summarizing it yeah. yep that that will assist is this a way uh, having this information ready and at hand um, to proceed with a, a purchase or a sale is this a way to make things go quicker and and not to be slowing down the process so that you feel like you've got to stop the level of commercial activity that's happening because you need to go off and get statements and you need to go off and get a letter from your accountant. You need to go off and um, find um, financial statements from here, there and everywhere and there's a bit of digging involved. I want to know from you if we get this information ready, is everything going to go through a lot quicker? Yes, everything will generally go quicker. And one of the concerns that um, clients often have is can the landlord stop this deal from happening? Right. Is there a circumstance that the landlord could stop me from selling my business? Um, which is an important question to ask. I bet, yes. Um, usually the answer is that the landlord can't unreasonably withhold their consent. So that's the legal terminology that we use. But what it means is the landlord has to be reasonable in their answer to you. If the leasing legislation applies, they're even further restricted in what reasons they can use to say no. So some of those might be if the person who's purchasing the business can't show that they have financial ability to pay the rent regularly. You need to be able to show that you have... That's reasonable. You have an income that will pay the rent. Um, If you are providing guarantors, the guarantors need to show that they have some financial backing. Another um, issue may be if the purchaser wants to change the use of the premises... Um, which is not usually going to happen in the sale of a business because usually the business will continue. Um, But sometimes you get circumstances where the purchaser might come in and want to do something totally different. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen it recently, no. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine it'd throw a wild card into uh, all the arrangements, but it's not out of the realm. Yes. Mm. Um, So that's another reason why the landlord could say no. Mm. What sort of documents are required? Um, So we talked before about the transfer document. Mm -hmm. So that's an important document to have signed. Um, If you are purchasing a business, it's a good idea to have your lawyer review the lease as part of your due diligence that Wendy talked about. Mm -hmm. And you might want to consider, are there some clauses in there that you want to approach the landlord to have varied? And some of them may be clauses that apply to the tenant currently but may not apply to you going forward and you you give us an example of a lease variation is that what we're talking about that's what we're talking about yes so a common example may be the lease might say whilst the tenant is susan blaine Mm -hmm. pty limited Mm -hmm. they don't have to provide a personal guarantee if i then want to purchase that business i might say to the landlord 
well, I would also like the benefit of not providing a personal guarantee. So there might be some negotiation in relation to a variation of the lease. Um, there might be some conditions that the landlord has for the transfer of the lease. They might want you to provide more guarantors or they might want you to provide a bigger bank guarantee. So that's all the sorts of things that you need to discuss with the landlord. The other one we've often seen is term. So if you've got a lease with a set term, then often the incoming person has wanted a longer term. So we've seen that quite a bit with um, lease assignments that the term will go from being another two or three years to suddenly being another Extending five or it. ten. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. because yeah, I want that security. Is that generally a positive thing? Yes, it's generally a positive thing yeah. for all parties involved. Yeah. Um, for the purchaser, it gives them a longer time mm-hmm. um, to get the business going under their leadership, I guess, yeah. is one word. Mm-hmm. And a landlord that has a tenant that's paying rent um, will be happy. and secure yeah. some peace of mind. Yeah. It's often tied up with the finance too for the buyer in that if the buyer's getting bank finance, often the banks like to see that the lease has at least a set number of years Mm. to run. Is there a magic number, Wendy? I suspect it varies with the industry, but I have heard things like they they don't like anything less than two years for a a hospitality situation. Okay. And I think that's probably tied in with the value of the fit-out. Oh, okay, sure. sure. And the frequency they're required to update. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, There are other... Industry specific, not that I can think of. Not off the top of your head. Um, Finally, here we've got consent to change directors or shareholding. Is can you talk to that, Jen? Yeah, so we talked about that briefly before about the um, depending on the structure of the sale of the business, um, you should also check whether the lease will requires the landlord's consent, Mm -hmm. Um, and. If so, make sure that you follow that process carefully. At the time of recording, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, it is federal budget time, end of financial year is just moments away. What is the first move? I'm looking at you, Wendy. Get your books in order. That's really the first move. Pick up the phone, start talking to your advisors, work out what it is that you're trying to do or trying to achieve, particularly if you want it done by 30 June. Okay, so we're entering a very busy time for you. Usually, yes. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. And and what, what is it about end of financial year? Why do businesses find that that's a good time to, to wrap up? I think it's exactly that. I'm in business. I finish on the 30th of June. I never have to file another tax return after that ever again. Okay. It's all done and dusted. I'm out. So the new owner it, has a clean start. Clean slate, clean financial year. financial year. year. Yep. It's yours from now yep. on, so it's just a... it's just a line in the sand yeah yeah okay well hopefully um people out there listening to this podcast wanting a bit more information can look you both up via our website and get in contact with you directly to discuss these matters if they have more questions that we haven't covered off today but ladies thank you very much for joining us on mv talks thank you susan thank you I'm Susan Blaine and thanks for listening to MV Talks. For more MV podcasts, check out our page on SoundCloud or download our podcast from iTunes.